KYW Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody. This is Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Flashpoint podcast. Would you do me a favor? Would you rate and review this podcast? We need your reviews to get us to the top. Please give us feedback. I read every single one of them, and I really appreciate you. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Flashpoint family. Now let's get to it. This week, the focus is the revelation by Massachusetts Congresswoman Ayanna Presley that she is bald and has alopecia. She is like the most courageous person ever. Her story sparking debate over what your hair says about you. Is my hair pink today? You know, is it, you know, in braids? Is it tight against my head? We care about our exterior sometimes more than we care about our hearts. An exploration of hair and identity. We dig in. Then a Philly mom keeps her kids home because their school has asbestos. What would you do if your child was in this situation? You could face truancy charges. Her story of defiance coming up. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is hair and identity. In recent days, Massachusetts Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, known for her long waistland Senegalese twist braids, came out as bald. She revealed in an emotional video on TheRoot.com that she suffers from alopecia. Because I want to be freed from the secret and the shame that that secret carries with it. Her story sparked discussion around the country and the world about hair. You've heard the song, I Am Not My Hair, but that is easier said than made true. With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Sarita Scott. She's founder of Duafe Holistic Hair Care, and she styled high-profile clients from Janet Jackson to Ava DuVernay. We also have Lori Tharps, associate professor of journalism at Temple University. She's also the author of critically acclaimed Hair Story, Untangling the Roots of Black Hair in America. And finally, we have Shanair Wright, a hairstylist that suffers from alopecia. She runs a support group on Facebook that empowers those dealing with with hair loss. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Seeing Congresswoman Presley with her braids empowered me, but seeing her bald, my mouth dropped. I wanted to give her a high five and a hug and say thank you. Can you please tell me your reaction, Sarita? I could see her face. She wasn't hiding. She was gorgeous. She chose to make the strongest decision ever and not to hide. So I'm happy for her. I'm, I'm sorry that she's going through what she's going through, but she's able to show up in her life even in a stronger way. She's an activist. I want to ask you, Lori, because she discussed her hair was a political statement. How is hair politics? Well, I think particularly for Ayana, she made this really clear uh, point that um, that people look up to her, particularly little girls, and see that mm-hmm. she is a black woman in a position of power Wearing a hairstyle that traditionally braids, you know, have been for keeping at home. They're for personal spaces, for private times, not for public places, not for public spaces, and definitely not for a woman who is uh, a political or government official. Um, for so long, black women have had to straighten their hair to fit in, to be acceptable uh, in any type of public space. So for her to 
run for political office with braids, you know, proudly Mm. um, is a statement. It's a statement of defiance in some ways, but it's also a statement of this is who I am. Do not judge me because of my appearance that is, you know, culturally black. Allow me to, you know, be judged by the my merits, right, as a leader. Um, And it says so much because just, I mean, even today we still see black women being fired from positions or not even hired Mm. should they show up with a braided hairstyle. And we'll come back to that point in just a moment. But Shanere, you've dealt with the issue of alopecia. Can you walk us through how do you, because she's so public, Mm -hmm. she's out there and... This is happening. This the, her last bit of hair came out the day she has to go and vote on impeachment right. and give a speech. For it to happen the day before is like extremely traumatic. To where she had to be being video, you know, being around her peers and not have the look that she is used to to presenting, and then having to wear this foreign object on her head. Like if you wear wigs, there that's one thing to be able to kind of switch and change your looks. But if you're not a wig wearer, to have to put on this foreign object and then actually go out in public can be traumatic for someone for the first time. So I feel like she is like the most courageous person ever because to be that vulnerable and to be that transparent and just in her decision to actually show and tell everybody what's going on is like one of the, the strongest things that you can do when you're actually going through alopecia and actually going through it for yourself. On the outside looking in, a lot of people don't realize the amount of insecurity that you feel and you feel that you're being judged. You feel that you are less than sometimes because you are going through something that you have no control over. And that's another issue also. This is something that... You usually kind of have control over so many things in your life, and this is that one thing that you have absolutely no control over. And there's really nothing that you can do to fix it the way that you want it fixed and repaired in the time that you want it to be repaired. It seems like it happened pretty quickly. She wore braids, so your hair is tugged in, in this style, and then you take it out and you realize patches of her hair were missing. And I know, Sarita, you've counseled women through all kinds of transitions in your chair. How do you coach somebody through this? In the most loving way possible. You know, I have so many clients that because of their lifestyle, because of their dietary issues, because of um, having a baby, postpartum, um, thyroid medication, diabetes medication, these things you have no control over. But when I have them in my chair, it's my time. I had to bear the bad news. I had to share it with them. Mm. I had to find the most gentle way. Sometimes I remove them from the body at a shop, pull them back in a shampoo room or an intimate space and let them know what I see. She didn't even know. Her stylist told her. She didn't know. And that's usually my job to tell people. And, you know, so for me to be in the industry of beauty for over 20 years, it's so wild how I view beauty now. And you would think that it would be surface. You would think that those things, me seeing someone hair thinning would be the point where beauty ends and self begins. But it's not. These are things that happen within time. Our body tends to change. 
Um, these are things that happen within time as women get older. It's things that are uncontrollable. I tell women constantly, I am not the measure of my hair. I am not the measure of all these a flat stomach, perky breasts. That's not my measurement. But it it takes for it took for me to be around a multitude of black women, multitude of women to see how they respond to it. That forced me to disconnect myself from the average person view of beauty. So when those times when I'm there in my chair and I have to share with them, mm-hmm. I welcome them with a hug. I explain to them that it's going to be okay. I make sure I alter the way that their hair is being styled. Um, but for me, I try to take the worry away from them and I try to put it on me. Okay, if you give me some time, these are the things, these are the things that I want you to change. If you can start drinking more water, make sure you're adding more minerals, making sure you're working through your stress. Give some that, people, yeah, because that's a I all, have yeah. to give them hope because sometimes just simply by changing small things, how you handle your stress, I give them journals. I ask them what's going on. I'm asking them what's going on in their lives, life work, all elements of their life. And I got to say, there's a lot of fear around hairstyle changes, but the fears are real. Like, cause you are afraid that if you wear a certain style that you might not be able to move up at work or that it could impact your, your career. Like it's so many things, your dating life. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are very real fears and you know, you can't turn on the television without seeing, uh, you know, the latest report, whether it's a young man, you know, getting his hair cut off at a wrestling match or a woman being fired from her job because she went from having a relaxed hairstyle to having a natural hairstyle. And this has been happening in the United States literally since black people were brought here in the 15th, 16th century. And that's what um, Hair Story does is kind of in the book, we go through the history of, you know, how hair has both impacted American culture, but also the changes that it has gone through as well. And we know that white people and black hair have had this very difficult relationship, which it's it's tense, right? White people, for the most part, don't understand black hair. And therefore, something you don't understand, you usually respond with fear. Right. And you try to control it. And that is why, you know, for the most part, black people have had to have these styles that were, you know, that told the party line that that their hair was assimilated to a white standard of beauty or acceptability. And that's why, you know, this idea you can really understand Ayanna Presley's fears are not just it's not about beauty it's like black hairstyles are not just about oh i'm not going to look good for the picture or i'm not going to look pretty you know this idea that like will people still respect me will people treat me with the same level of authority thinking that i have this position right yeah. because we put so much emphasis on black women's particularly women and men but particularly for women yeah what do i know about you Based on your hairstyle. Judgments are being made. All the time. And I think, you know, the idea of being a bald woman, right? I mean, that's not... Women who choose to be bald are thought of to be, you know, butch, to be lesbian, to be countercultural, all of that. Even that, for a black woman, it's a style. It's a statement. And she's going to be judged. Now, that's another reason why I think Ayanna Presley was very smart to claim this. Right. Because one, she's changing styles, which can for a black woman who changes her hairstyle all the time, that can also backfire because people 
look at you as frivolous or spending too much time on your appearance. Um, And if she is decides to go bald, like publicly, like regularly, that also could backfire because people make assumptions about what's a woman, a bald black woman. She must be. But that but in this case and and then I want to go to you, Shanir, because this is uncontrollable for her. Yeah. And she it's emotional for her. And 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 it's. More than just a statement, because if she had her choice, she wouldn't have made that statement. And I'm just saying real quick that she had to get in front of it, though, because all the time people make assumptions about black women and their hairstyles. Yes. And it was really smart for her to make to out herself before someone before she was reading about, oh, she's wearing this style for this reason. Or did you see this or did you see that? She before needed to do that. Before her hair became a, a topic of conversation. Exactly. But I, but I want to go back to this issue of. You know, you have your hair your whole life, right? You rocking braids. I've I've had tree braids, box braids, cornrows, like straight hair, weave, whatever. And then you you don't you can't choose anymore. Right. It's been chosen for you. And she woke up one day and the choice was made and she had to react to that. Can you try to put into context, tell us a little bit about your story and try to put into context what it feels like to go through this? Well, for me, I experienced postpartum hair loss. Mm. So my son and my daughter, my daughter, my children are 14 years apart. Experienced it with my son the first time, it was an ongoing. But then recently, because my daughter is now three, I experienced it all over again. But it was a lot more traumatic because I was a lot older in age. So I had my daughter at 35 years old. The hormones are different. When you're going through pregnancy, everything is different. Everything is heightened. And it has not come back the way that it did when I was younger. So I experienced that. I had to change the way that I styled my hair. I have two very prominent areas. And because I am a hairstylist, I camouflage and I'm able to conceal it really, really well. Um, Normally, I will wear a lot of, you know, my hair a little longer it doesn't hold that anymore. So I had to kind of come to grips with that, say, okay, you know what? Short cuts are really great. I'm going to make this work for me. Uh, and then I've always worn color. So I kind of use, use different things to kind of camouflage and still kind of make it better for you so that you can feel as though you have control over the situation. Um, because certain styles I'm not able to wear unless I wear, you know, actually wear it in, in a wig and things like that. And that's actually why I do what I do as far as career-wise because um, my mother has always had thin hair, alopecia. My aunt, actually, um, before she passed, she um, went through the same thing. And the last years of her life, she chose to wear a bald head, and it looked absolutely beautiful. There will be times it's hot, it's just too much, I can't wear a wig. So she would have wig-free days and just to make that stance for herself. But it, it is hereditary in my family. My mother, my aunt, and my uh, grandmother all suffered from it. So I knew that it would be, you know, in my future. Um, and so my family actually leaned on me as a hairstylist. So I started out as a, a stylist doing theater. You know, I did a lot of plays in theater and things like that. So I had a wig background, but it actually turned to more hair replacement and hair loss because that was the, the journey that I feel like I was supposed to do because all of the women in my family, that's what I saw. Yeah. And that's what I knew. And, I, and I realize a lot of people have this issue, right? But we hide it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I mean, mm-hmm. uh, there's so much shame associated with issues with your with your hair. Yes. And and Sarita, because I mean, this is why is it shame attached to this? Because it's almost like Ayana gave us all permission to take a sigh and be like, yo, me too, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had yeah. a patch that was gone right in front from stress and it grew back, but it was a perfectly round patch. <laughs> And I had tried to cover it up. I went to the dermatologist. They gave me $250 for some steroid spray in my head. But, I mean, I hit it. I hit it. It was it was right in the front. Yeah. I suffer from the same thing. My first, my daughter, you know, I, I lost hair after postpartum. Shook it off. I said, oh, well. I swooped my locks around the front. And I called it a day. Kept it curled so I could conceal it. Mm-hmm. My son bawled me. <laughs> He scalped me in such a way where I was forced to shave off the sides of my hair. So after shaving off the sides of it, yeah, it was different. It wasn't something that I would have chose with the hairstyle, but I adjusted quickly. I adjusted quickly because I knew it was a moment. For and I knew if it wasn't a moment, I'll keep it shaved. Walking into it with a level of confidence was extremely uncomfortable. I am bold in that way. You know, certain things with my aging. I just, as I said once before, you just can't control. So the shame attached to to our hair has everything to do with our perception of beauty, the expectation of beauty, the hope of beauty, the knowing that beauty will open up doors, it will get us jobs, it will make men smile at us, women smile at us too. So as much as we want to remove that perception of beauty, it's real. So when we talk about the history of brown people and beauty in this country, it was against the law for us to wear our hair out in the early 1800s. So thus the Aunt Your Mama uh, rap. So we have done things constantly try to fit in boxes that we don't belong in. So when you try to fit in spaces that does not belong to you, shame and guilt will always be attached to it. And that's even with hair, let alone if you have a condition that causes hair loss, that's even more devastating. And, And the crazy part is, Men deal with this too. Right. It's Men. traumatic when they shave their hair. And they're wearing right. weaves. And they wear, they got man weaves. Yeah, yes. Very clear. nice ones. Very nice ones. But, you know, I have to say, though, that I, you know, I want to go back to what you said about, you know, the outpouring of responses. Yes. That's what I think is really powerful is that there were so many women who said, thank you, because I too am hiding. I'm, you know, I was so ashamed. I, you know, I, I'm like, I also suffer from alopecia and I never, I didn't tell anybody or I haven't told anybody yet. So it really made you realize that this is not a, you know, and if you look at the numbers, actually a lot of women and men suffer from alopecia. I think, you know, I think probably it's the one of those things where you can say somebody in your family, somebody in your family, right. oh, I know some, my cousin, my auntie, um, you know, my cousins, I, you know, it's like everybody knows somebody and yet it's such a, hidden thing that you don't you don't realize it and i think ayana presley is going to be even more popular you know she she was known for her braids and she gave a lot of little black girls the my congresswoman wears braids you know like really showing little girls that they too that could be them but i think now she's giving a whole nother group of people this sense of pride and this real sense of relief that you don't have to love having alopecia but Alopecia doesn't mean you cannot be a woman in charge, a woman in power, a beautiful woman. She's going to give this, you know, community a role model, if you will. And I like that she's also not yeah. saying like, oh, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm great. She's still it's a journey. dealing with it. It's a journey. She named exactly. her wigs. Yes. The OG. Yes. The, 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 the Michelle. Yes. Yeah, I yes. loved it. The, the Flotus. The Flotus, yes. But, but I'd say you created a community, Shanir. You created a community online. Yes. Why? 
because I know that people are always looking. When I have people come in for consultations and come into the salon, they, they people spend hours on end looking for what can I do next? What can I try next? What what's the latest, newest, you know, thing on the market? What's the best vitamin? What's the you know, what's the next, you know, hair bomb and and things like that, or people are asking, you know, what can I, what can I purchase from all of these, you know, beauty supply stores? So I just and people spend billions, so yes, much money, and a lot yeah. of times I'm just like, well, you know what, you you're wasting a lot of your money first and foremost because a lot of the hair loss usually is either genetics or is issue nutrition. People's eating habits um, are absolutely horrible, so it affects your hair, affects your skin, and People are super dehydrated. They're not eating correctly. They're not working out. Stress levels are way too high. So I try to, I mainly post different things as far as eating, changing your diet, um, foods that encourage, you know, hair growth and things like that, ways to de-stress. So more of a support in that way. Um, All of the different things that I have tried, I'll give my opinions on them or my reviews, allow people to share what works for them and what's not working for them products that they love or they don't love, um, more of a holistic yeah. um, way of doing things, different essential oils to try, different butters and and, and things like that. So they just kind of have more options other than what is being advertised in the beauty supply stores that nine times out of ten don't work anyway. Yeah, and I have to say I had family members who went through radiation treatments that took their hair out and it's devastating for for anybody and I will say it's extremely devastating for women uh, and even more so for black women because you know, we spend a lot of time getting our hair done. Like, I'm, I'm just saying. And can like, I just, can we just but I feel talk? like our focus is on the wrong thing as brown women. Yeah. Too often we're so concerned with our exterior, what we want, what we need is really quick. I always say to my clients, check in, check in on yourself, yeah. see if you're okay. You know, I am that conscious stylist that I bring things aware to my clients. But it's too often, it's a lot of stylists that's, that's just simply not their approach because their fear is losing clients. Mm-hmm. And so versus making certain subtle changes, making suggestions, doing those things that can slow the process you have to find a stylist that care about you even more than keeping you in their chair. Because yeah. I, I do want to mention this as well, because uh, we I can't remember the young woman. She was in Moesha. Brand, she, uh, Brandy? Not Brandy. No, the, the, her best friend. Countess Vaughn. Countess Vaughn. And she actually had um, basically hair loss that was caused by... The 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 um no she had on um the from glue the, from the wig the oh, wig glue yeah. she had the and mm-hmm. it basically yeah. took a two inch perimeter around her hair and she flipped it up and she showed everybody what some of these these wigs with the glue on it can do to your hairline and she she actually had an infection mm. uh, allergic reaction to her the glue yeah mm-hmm. traumatic so yeah strong. and Absolutely. she had to go to the doctor to fi- dermatology and heal that before, mm-hmm. before and she talked about like you had to talk about the fact that some women have done things mm-hmm. for beauty right. mm-hmm. that has caused all kinds of medical conditions to their bodies hair loss caused by some of these the things choices that they're the choices that i mean and that's and and that's sort of like a political pressure i don't know if it's societal press or what what that is one of the things that we have to remember also is ancestrally we know that 
for black people, our hair is more than just、uh, an object of beauty. Our hair is our source of identity. That it has been, you know, in West Africa before European colonization, African people used their hair to tell everybody who they were.、Mm. Their styles, the style of your hair, literally could tell everybody what tribe you belonged to, what family you were, what position in society you had. And so, and, and if you didn't have your hair styled, there was something wrong. I mean, even a woman who was mourn in mourning, there was a style that she wore, so everybody knew she was in mourning. Even though we don't subscribe to that exactly, we do know that our hairstyles, even today, signify more than just you know a beauty. Right? It tells something about like how we feel today.、Mm. What we're, you know, did I put my is my hair pink today? You know, is it you know in braids? Is it tight against my head? Is it out and flowing? There's still some real essence of identity in our hair, and not in a way that should be traumatizing.、Yeah. But that is also part of this, you know, why we care so much. Why it's not just a You know, should I put my hair in a ponytail this morning? And, and I have to say, because one of the things Ayana Press and I call her Ayana just because I feel like I know her. After you see somebody just reveal, you know, all this, you feel like you know her so well. But she mentioned, you know, you know, Indiari's song, you know, I am not my hair, and all of this kind of stuff. But then people, she says, she found herself. <laughs> she walked into herself when she got those Senegalese twists that went down to her waist. That that was who she was. I've had hairstyles and I've had tree braids that I just absolutely loved, and I felt like this is who I am, right here. I felt like I was me, more me than me with that hairstyle. I mean, how do you cope with with that? Like trying to find you again because we've linked identity to your hairstyle. How do you find you again when you see a shift like that that's uncontrollable?、Mm. I don't really feel as though it has to do with your hair first. Mm. It has to do with you inside mentally. So when it comes to that, there needs to be an internal look as far as a little bit more self care and a little bit more time、mm. to reflect in yourself. So you may need to, you know, journal a little bit more. You、yeah. may need to just kind of、uh, maybe retreat a little bit, kind of regroup and figure out who you are, what you want, what you like. What makes you happy, and kind of go from there, because the hair is—it's an extinction. The style is an extinction of what you feel inside. Is this a moment for all of us to kind of like shore up our self-esteem? I want to play devil's advocate a little bit here and say that it's—it is one of those moments where you have to acknowledge that you know it could happen to anybody. I mean, alopecia could happen to anybody, and it isn't a choice.、Um, I mean, it's not a. You know, it's you don't get to choose if it happens to you or not.、Um, but again, our hair is really significant, and、um, we were talking offline before this of how much we want to get back to remembering how significant our hair is, and in taking that as part of our self care and loving our hair, not feeling like we have to torture it to make it acceptable.、Mm. That being said, of course. We want to, like, if it's taken away from us, I think it's okay to mourn that.、Yes. I think it's okay to be really sad that that part of our self-expression is no longer ours to make anymore, and be okay with saying, "Yeah, I need to take a time." Like, I want Ayana to, Congressman Ayana, I want her to be okay with saying, "Like, I need a moment." Like, I am. Revealing, but I'm still a little sad. Like it's okay. She needs to go through that, and as anybody would, 
And I think always, like, the reason we wrote Hair Story is we want people to be educated and proud of what their hair means and what it signifies, but we don't want you to be, like, beholden to it as some sort of status symbol or something that other people can control you with. In other words, it's not an easy answer. It's not don't care about your hair. It's just hair. But at the same time, don't let your hair uh, run your life. And I want you to give some tips, too, because I know you uh, look— Look, I, I've, I've, Sarita has. I've been to her shop, so yes, I know. Yes, do I twenty yes, years? Yes. So in thousands and thousands of women. Well, you know, just to dial back a little bit, you're talking to someone. My mother's a cancer survivor, mm-hmm. so we can talk about alopecia, but there's other matters that uh, me going through that experience and seeing what chemo did to my mom. She had locks. We had to cut them off. We cut them off before our hair fell off. We wanted to take, get in front of it and take control over it. Hair will and always will be an extremely important thing in African-American women's lives. We care about our exterior sometimes more than we care about our hearts. So when we talk about You know, it's not about beauty. It's about beauty. It's about perception of beauty. It's about fitting in. It's all these things. So, yes, checking in, refocusing, prioritizing, putting you first. And why I keep saying checking in, because when women come to Duafe, most cases when they come, they're extremely desperate. We're their last resort. They don't know what to do. They have gotten to a point of no return with all the weaves and braids and everything that they have done previously, and they are looking for a solution. There are solutions. Most cases, those solutions require you to do everything that you haven't done. Mm. Okay? It requires you to change your mind. It requires you to decide on doing something that you ultimately didn't think was sexy and cute. But my job is to preserve your beauty, period. So perception of beauty is what holds people down. It's most cases the cage that people put themselves in. Mm. Most cases it's the... The thing that we think that we're going to get love or we're not going to get love. But what I know is those times when I love myself the most are those times that I am attracting that love to me. So it starts with you. It starts with you. Because this is Flashpoint, we do need to wrap this up. How do we turn this moment into one of empowerment and hair liberation? And will it last? Or will we go right back to putting the glue and <laughs> the sticks right back on the head? Y'all For tell people me. who forget, unfortunately. You know, and if it's not us, we don't think it's ever going to be until we're faced with it. Um, Love yourself. Care about yourself. Mm -hmm. Check in. Write in your journal. Eat well. Exercise. uh, Make sure that your stress levels are as maintained as possible. And make sure that the relationships around you are the most healthy. The way that we don't forget about this moment is Ayanna Presley, President 2024. And we just keep her uh, top of mind. I think, you know, there's always going to be a new hair story in the in the public eye, in the media. You know, as long as people are continuously having these conversations and educating themselves, reading good books like Hair Story, we're going to be great. I think we're going to just keep on talking and keep on solving these problems. Wonderful. To keep the the story going and to not forget is to really pay attention, kind of pay attention to to the women that are around you. Um, I think you'll actually pay attention a little bit more to who is wearing wigs, who is not wearing wigs, who are wearing braids, um, the different choices that people, that different women are making, and just knowing that you have the option to to make some choices and some changes also. Yes. I want to say thank you so much, ladies. Uh, for coming on Flashpoint. Thank you to Sarita Scott, Lori Tharps, and Shanir Wright for coming on Flashpoint talking about this issue in the news. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Next up, what she heard as Bestos was in her kid's school, she decided not to send them back. We're worried about what's going to happen in 10 years, what's going to happen in 20 years. Philadelphia mom faces truancy charges. Her story of defiance coming up. If you like what you hear, stick around and listen to some past episodes of the Flashpoint podcast. Some of our most popular podcasts include our debate over the Byron Allen $20 billion lawsuit against Comcast. We also did a recent episode. We also did a recent episode on forgiveness, especially in a world of cancel culture and gun violence. Also, be sure to check out our Flashpoint extras. Thanks all. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Our newsmaker of the week is Asbestos. Since October, the school district of Philadelphia has closed six schools after discovering damaged asbestos. The material had been missed or not previously removed by inspectors. And this week, the teachers union sued the school district, demanding immediate relief. And one Philadelphia mom has been featured in the news because of her powerful story. Stephanie Marrero has three young children enrolled at Richmond Elementary School. She has kept them home since November, and now she could face charges of truancy. Stephanie, welcome to Flashpoint. Thanks for having me. I've had Dr. Hyde on the show. We've talked about the issues in schools, but I've never had a parent. And so tell us about your story and why you decided to take it public. Back in November, a source that I have at the school sent me some pictures with uh, the classroom 107 initially being sealed off. And this is at Richmond Elementary. Yes. Yes. And I said, what's going on? And she's like, asbestos. I said, what are you talking about? Like, I was pretty naive to the whole situation. Of course, I had to do my own research and speak with my husband and my father who has done construction in the past. So, of course, I had a quick class about it. And once I found out that it was airborne in multiple classrooms, including my son's, I kind of threw a fit. And the school basically, like, tried to sweep it under the rug. They didn't want to acknowledge it. I immediately took my children out. And you have three kids. I what do. ages? Six, seven, and eight. Did anybody tell you that this existed? What was the communication no. like? There was no communication. I tried meeting with the principal. She kind of just, like, shooed me off. She was never in the office. And once I took the children out... It got to the point where, well, how come Bailey's not in school? How come Jazz isn't here? How come Parker's not here? And I said, well, the classroom is airborne with asbestos in all the classrooms. I said, they've been breathing this in. I said, this is why my son is complaining of headaches every day. This is why they're having respiratory issues. This is why my daughter now has asthma out of nowhere. It's been an issue now. I've asked for the test results on multiple occasions. We asked for specific classrooms that get done, and we were told me specifically was told from the school district that our school was not a priority mm-hmm. to have it tested. I did some of my own research and I found that back in 2017, certain classrooms were tested and they came back severely high and that our school was considered high priority and nothing has been done since. It kind of just went under the rug. And- so this week there was uh, a lawsuit filed yes. by the Philadelphia Teachers Union and you were one of the speakers at this protest. I was. I was also a speaker at um, Carnell Elementary a few weeks back as well. I had asked to speak there. It was very moving. I've met, you know, some congressmen and some representatives. However, one that I've actually known for a little while, I was working on another um, issue with, but they've come and rallied around. And it's great that they want to step up now, but it, they were out for that one day and then there's nobody around. Yeah. So, I mean, for our school in general, we have some teachers that are all for it, but they can't speak because of some part of their contract and 
you know, we don't have enough parent support either. I have spoken to multiple parents and they're like, oh, yes, 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 you're doing great. Let's do this. Let's do that. And guess what? The time is now and there's nobody around. So why do you think parents have haven't been more vocal before this? I don't think that they're educated enough on the asbestos being damaged in the school. I think they see is it's a Band-Aid. It's fixed temporarily. They'll be fine. But what they're not realizing now is the fact that we're not worried about today or yesterday. We're worried about what's going to happen in 10 years when they're done school. Or what's going to happen in 20 years down the line when they're having um, respiratory issues and they come down with cancer. What's going to happen then? They may not have medical coverage. They may not have caught it in time. They may have, say, a month to a year to live. Who's to say that this isn't the cause right now? You know, with it being in, in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, that's fine, but the little ones in elementary schools, their lungs aren't fully developed. Their their immune systems are not developed enough to handle all that. And so you actually got a letter from the school district I saying did. what? They outlined a few days that my children were out. Actually, they only sent it home for one child, not all three. Mm-hmm. My other two children did not get a letter. Only my daughter did with specific dates and saying that there were illegal absences. And I said, Okay, what would you do if your child was in this situation? Their health is more important, and I can give them school lessons at home. You know, I can take them to a museum, and that's, you know, a field trip. That's educational right there. So I'm not worried. So are you going to homeschool your kids now? I have thought about it, unless the school district will give us a timeline on when they can get in and start cleaning because the school district was given, I believe it was $12 million to start the abatement process on some of the schools. And I understand that McClure is one of the worst. And I would love to see McClure and our school get done at the top of the list. So you're trying to push to make sure that Richmond Elementary School is one of the first schools that's fixed. So what are you going to do with yeah. your kids, though, in the in-between, the, in, in the in between, like to educate them and make sure they don't fall behind? Um, you know what? YouTube has a lot to do with that. I mean, my children love YouTube, but at the same time, they are watching educational shows at home on their tablets. They have a lot of stuff that um, is going to keep them occupied. They have memberships to all of um, the museums in the area. So if I can get them out on a field trip, it's a learning experience, but to them, it's fun and it's a day out. So, and they'll be learning in the process. So, are you getting, like, take-home stuff from the school, I the am. teachers and stuff just, like that to just, just the keep teachers. them? The teachers are sending um, some work home. So, they'll do the work, and then I'll take it back when needed. Yeah. So, I uh, mean, I there... have nephews and nieces and godchildren in that school. And, unfortunately, like, their parents pulled all theirs out, too. And our attendance rate is... Yesterday was at 61%. So the school, so that school, Richmond yep. Elementary, you're hearing of other parents doing this. Yes. What if someone says, you know what? You're overreacting, Stephanie. Asbestos does not cause asthma. You're overreacting. What's your response to that? To be honest, my, my kids are first and foremost, and my, my children's health is first and foremost above anything else. I want to be there when my child walks down the aisle. I want to be there when she's graduating college. If I get these test results from the school district that say that my children's school is safe and there's zero asbestos, zero anything, lead in the water, anything, then they can go back. So what are the next steps for you? I mean, is that what it is to sort of like wait until these these test results come back? Yeah, it's a, it's a big waiting game. I mean, the school district, you know, they performed some air quality tests. Um, 
they only did certain classrooms. They did not do the entire school. And they're basically doing what is state mandated. They're not going above and beyond for our children. So until we have results from the environmental specialist throughout the entire school saying, hey, your school is A-OK. This is what the next step is. We are going to start the process on this date. We're going to close the school. We're going to do what's needed for the safety and health of our children. Yeah. So what about people who would say, you know what, this is inappropriate. This is neglect. This is educational neglect, not sending your kid to school every day. What's neglect is the school district allowing our children to be in a school that is hazardous. That is neglect. That is essentially medical neglect because you're sending them in where it's contaminated. You can't in a right mind do that to a child. That is that is 100% neglect. For me to keep my children home as saying it's an educational neglect, no, because I have the tools to take them somewhere else to a museum where they can get education. They're still learning about their city. They're learning about social studies. They're learning about science, things like that. Whereas they're sitting in a classroom breathing in hazardous materials. Is there going to be more activism from parents? Because a lot of this started, it seemed like all this started last year, this school year, when um, Benjamin Franklin High School was getting redone and the parents from SLA were moving into the school they were supposed to start and they found that asbestos and then parents took a lead and then I think uh, it seems like a lot of other parents from other schools facing similar issues realized that they could speak up too. Did you Were you inspired by their action there? I briefly heard about Benjamin Franklin and the other schools, and I was like, oh, you know, that's a shame. I was like, what are these kids going to do? And my first thought was, what's going to happen for truancy? If they're not in school, what's going to happen to those students? Yeah, but they got got relocated. Luckily for them, but when it was brought to my attention for our school, for me, at first, it wasn't a big deal because I didn't know about it. I didn't have the facts. I didn't know anything about asbestos. So once I got that quick, that quick lesson, I was like, oh, my God, like, my children are at risk. Like, nope, they're coming out. Let's go. Did you do that immediately? I did. Did it take time? I did. Um, when I got the pictures sent to me, I immediately went to Facebook and I went to our um our local pages, and I said, this is what's going on in the school. Something must be done. I'm pulling my children out until I get some answers and so forth. And some parents are like, oh, you're you're blown out of proportion. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not doing it. So one gentleman had said, oh, well, you know, we've been living with this all our lives. And I'm like, okay, so what's going to happen in 10 years when you find out you have cancer? And this is the cause. And so have you, have, has that been the blowback? Pretty much. And how are you getting lots of responses from I've this? I've gotten positive. I've gotten negative. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's, oh, well, <laughs> my children are my children and they're most important to me. So, yeah. And so do you have, do you work during the day? I am actually not allowed to work at the moment for some health issues of my own. Um, so I can't get cleared. So being home and being able to be with my children and give them the lessons in life that they need is important so my husband is the breadwinner at the point at this point yeah and so if things shift you might have to send them back to school yeah if I got to send them back um then I want to make sure that they are safe and breathing healthy air they'll stay home as long as necessary is that your response pretty much well I want to say thank you so much to Stephanie Marrero mother of three um fighting the battle against asbestos thank you so much for coming on Flashpoint thanks for having me Next up, they're hitting the road to feed the hungry. Giving out free 
healthy meals. West Philadelphia Church's mobile strategy for helping those in need. But first, traffic and weather in a couple minutes. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. This is Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. First, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Flashpoint podcast. Welcome to the Flashpoint family. Would you do me a favor? Would you log on to the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or whatever podcast platform that you use and subscribe to Flashpoint? Now, let's get to it. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KYW, we are all about community. And for some Philadelphians, lunch is from a food truck. But for others, they don't know where their next meal will come from. A taste of compassion food truck is trying to fix that. A West Philadelphia church just dedicated the vehicle, which will go to various neighborhoods, and everything on the menu is free. Here to talk more about A Taste of Compassion and the church's other charitable endeavors is our Patriot Home Care Changemaker, Pastor W. Lonnie Herndon. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. First of all, where did your church get the idea for a food truck? Well, our church is founded on this principle of Matthew 25. It's this passage of scripture where Jesus says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. So we're founded upon the principle of caring for those who are less fortunate. And so I understand that you all give out lots of food just generally. 300,000 pounds of food per year. So you decided to take it on the wheels, take it on the go. Absolutely. We understand that one in five residents in the city of Philadelphia are struggling every night to put food on the table. We see the amount of kids, school-age kids that go hungry. So we have several programs. We feed kids every afternoon during the school year a healthy, hot meal. We've been giving away food at Thanksgiving, but we said, let's take it up another level. We understand that a lot of people do it during the holidays. Some people do it on the weekends, but hunger happens in every season. It happens every day. So we said, you know what? Let's take it up another level. Let's buy a food truck, and we're going to hit the streets of Philadelphia, giving out free, healthy meals every day, three meals a day, seven days a week. And tell me what's on the menu. Everything from during this time of the year, like soups and wheat bread and healthy fruits and grains. We have chefs in our congregation who are dedicating their time to setting a healthy menu for those in the city. Did you do a fundraiser to get this food truck idea? Because I think it's something that's going to catch on. Absolutely. And I hope so. We did. We put out to the congregation what we wanted to do. Every year, we try to pick a project to help the community. This year was the food truck. We told people what the costs were, what we were planning to do. And without hesitation, the congregation made sure we purchased a brand new food truck, state-of-the-art, with all of the bells and whistles to serve the community. And so who staffs this food truck? Volunteers from our church Mm -hmm. and also the community. What's really been amazing, we have had members and non-members of our congregation sign up to volunteer to be a part of serving. And so how does it work? The truck just goes around neighborhood to neighborhood? Uh, We understand that there are some uh, neighborhoods in the city of Philadelphia where we know that there are homeless people that sleep under bridges uh, in the parks. And as we speak, as I drove here tonight, there are people sleeping 
under the bridges along Arch Street. So we'll identify every day where the hot spots are and we'll send the truck to those places. And so people can literally just pick whatever they want that's on the menu. Absolutely. How many people can you feed in a given day with the truck? We're hoping to feed hundreds. We estimate it right now that we'll feed a couple of hundred people every day. There will be people who will never go inside a shelter, who will never go inside of a rec center to be fed. There are some people that feel more comfortable on the street. And so we're going out there where the need is. Yeah, you're taking it exactly where folk are. And so tell us a little bit about your church. Uh, It's a church in the heart of the community. We have over 5,000 members. We're just a a church that is known for unconditionally loving mankind. We come in and we huddle um, a couple of times during the week. But our goal is after we huddle and worship, uh, our goal is to get outside the four walls of the church. We really believe our ministry is out in the streets, just really showing the unconditional love. And that's what we're big on, showing the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. So how can people who are not members of your church support you? Absolutely. I would love for them to go on all of our social media, Christian Compassion, um, or call our church at 215-472-9040. And so what does compassion mean to you? Because everything is, 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 it seems like it has this link um, with, with your church. Compassion means to have pity or to have mercy. And instead of just saying, why is that person there? Or why is that person out there? Or, you know, there's a ton of jobs out there. Or that person shouldn't be out there sleeping on the streets. Instead of asking the question why, we bend low, we stoop low, and um, we build relationship with the person through first providing their need. And the need is hunger. And through having that need met, We then can build other conversations. We have a a community center that helps people find jobs, that helps people back on their feet. Wonderful. And so people can find you at Christian Compassion all over social media. All over social media. I want to say thank you so much. Is there anything else you would like to add, Pastor? Um, Listen, uh, we need help and support. We give away a lot of food. Mm. So for the persons that would love an opportunity to donate, uh, we're a nonprofit organization. Um, Or if you would like to volunteer, please call us at 215-472-9040. We would love members and non-members to volunteer to help support. Are there specific donations that you can never have enough of? Water and healthy. And and I can't stress enough that everything that we do from the truck is healthy. So no sugary drinks and things of that nature, but things that are going to be beneficial to the body. Wonderful. So I want to say thank you so much to Pastor W. Lonnie Herdon. Appreciate you. You can find them everywhere at Christian Compassion, Compassion all over social media. Thank you so much for coming on Thanks Flashpoint. We'll be right back. Are you disappointed in the timing of your home care paycheck? Or are you being paid at all? Call Patriot Home Care today and know that your paycheck will arrive on time and that you'll be well paid. As a leading home care provider in Pennsylvania, Patriot offers the most comprehensive benefits package in the state. You can qualify for free health care, 401k retirement benefits, paid sick time and vacations, and time and a half pay for holidays. Who doesn't like that, right? So you can call Patriot Home Care today at 877-535-5550. That's 877-535-5550. Again, it's 877-535-5550. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. 
Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. To quote Anonymous, a beautiful face will age and a perfect body will change. But a beautiful soul will always be a beautiful soul. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.